Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass Z Manchester United Tactical Podcast. It's now brought to you by Sports Social, the UK's first dedicated sports podcast network. So definitely go and check that out, guys. Manchester United have drawn in the probably a predictable nil-nil draw, Rob. Not the most riveting game, but I was quite I was quite enjoying it in the first half. I thought United pressed really, really well. But at the end of the day, points shared and um same old what we've seen in the other big games, haven't we, with the nil-nils? Yeah, similar. I, I think today United got their tactics spot on. I think they worked Chelsea out really well. What they didn't do was just kind of get that final bit of execution in the final third, finding a way to win the game. I said before the match that in these kind of games, performances do not matter. What matters is winning. You're at the time of the season now where three points is everything. So I think that's the major disappointment from the actual football match. And we're going to talk about a penalty that should have been, that would have given Manchester United the three points today probably. Uh, and that's quite important. But we're also going to look at maybe one or two key points of Manchester United's shape as to why it was successful today. But also, what were the fallacies of Manchester United? Um, where was the problems on the football pitch? It's very easy to pick out the normal players, the Freds, the McTominays, the Lindelofs and Maguires, like people do. But I think there's a really important thing to highlight today about Bruno Fernandes, where he plays, how he plays and how he actually affects Manchester United. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think... At times, Rob, you saw two sides who you saw their limitations. You sh you saw where they are in the table reflects how good they are. I mean, you look at Manchester City right at the top, uh, and they're far and away better than than either of these two sides. And you saw two managers probably who have walked away from that happy not to lose. I mean, let's look at the, the starting lineups. Chelsea went with three at the back as we expected, more of a three four three. Manchester United with their usual four two three one. What surprised me today, Rob? specifically was how aggressive United were in their press. You saw very, very early on, you saw both Wan-Bissaka and Shaw push up and really, really aggressively press uh, Hudson-Odoi and um, Chilwell. And I thought that was something which set the tone throughout the game. You saw Maguire and Lindelof again on that front foot. I mean, at times Maguire was almost deep into Chelsea's half collecting the ball. Um, did that surprise you today? And what were your thoughts on that? Because when you look at the side, I mean, it's built for counter-attacking Football. I thought we would counter. I think Chelsea thought we would counter. You played. They played Atletico in the week. I think they thought United would do something similar, where they'd just play a pure counter-attacking game. You've got James Greenwood, Rashford. You know, brilliant on the counter. But uh, United surprised me today, and they didn't do that. Well, I think what Ole did today was to call Tuchel's bluff. So, like you just said, there it, it was all set up for United to play deep. Not particularly a low block, but maybe playing off there on the counter-attack. And the reason why we put the screen up here today for, for our viewers to have a look is to kind of show you what a system means, but how it doesn't particularly mean what the tactics are. So United played 4-2-3-1. All of our viewers are very familiar with that. All Manchester United fans know what that means when Ole plays that system. But as you can see on the screen there, that's not exactly how United set up. Lindelof and Maguire spent their lives on the halfway line today. They pushed up really, really high. They kind of said to Giroud, if you want to run in behind us, you can, but then you'll be offside because you'll be in our half of the pitch. So you're not going to do that. And Giroud obviously doesn't really run the line. That's not what he does. I think as soon as you see that Werner is sat on the bench, you can then employ that tactic. And I think that's what Oli did today to try and call Tuchel's bluff. Uh, it nearly worked. I think there's still the same issues with Manchester United in terms of quality ball retention, whether that you want to say that's from the double pivot or whether you want to say that's maybe from the three behind the striker. Yeah, all of those things are valid. But I think today, the function that didn't work for Manchester United, and it is a negative and it is something we've seen repetitively, is what do you do with Bruno Fernandes in this kind of shape? How do you make him really effective? How do you make him play his game? And I think the problem with Bruno, and we'll, we'll, we'll dig a little bit more into it in a minute. We'll talk about the penalty as well, because I think that's really important. And maybe we'll do Bruno after the penalty. But Bruno playing behind the striker is fine. What's not fine is when Bruno drops into the pocket in front of the double pivot, because he gives the ball away. His passing is poor. His retention is poor. And it stops United playing actually good football on the front foot. So I don't want to say for a second that Bruno Fernandes is the problem in inverted commas, but in this kind of system that we saw today where you need United to kind of move through the, move through the phases of play really quickly, it was actually Bruno dropping deep and losing the ball at times that was the issue. Uh, 
Yeah, I think so. I think Bruno didn't have the greatest game. I do think what we saw today, Rob, is while the midfield is workmanlike, I know we disagree on this. I mean, I, I want to see more ball playing ability from those two sitting in midfield. McFred, solid today, worked very, very hard. They matched Chelsea's uh, industry in midfield. But I think, again, you saw that in this sort of game, you need more quality from, from the middle of the park. And I don't think we had that. And it's not a new issue. I'm not turning around expecting more from Fred because I know what they offer. I, I thought Bruno in this final ball was very poor. I mean, there was a few times, remember the breakaway where it was an absolute golden chance and he played it behind Marcus. Um, it, it was a bit of a struggle, I think, for him today. But when we're looking at this side, Rob, <clears throat> do you think that, I mean, there's a lot of comments here about a lot of the nil-nils, five draws, two losses against the top six side. Is that a concern for you? I mean, is that, is that obviously you're looking at it and thinking United last season were winning these games. This season, they're not winning those games. And the question is, why can't we get over the line? Why can't we score from open play? I believe we haven't scored from open play. Or I think it's in one game. I think it's been 600 minutes of uh, games against top six sides. I mean, that's that's a bit of a concern, isn't it? No. <laughs> Sorry to say that. It's not a concern for me because the concern is giving away the space behind in these kind of big games. So say you play Werner today, you play a high line and Werner beats you behind you. That then kind of says something different about your setup and your tactics. So like we highlighted there just in the first minute, I think Ole got the tactics right today. I think the shape was correct. I think it was good that United played a high press, both first wave and second wave. But what was the issue? Well, it wasn't really that United created a lot of opportunities. It wasn't, you know, guilt-edged chances that United missed and that's why they didn't win the game. It was more just about maybe that kind of, that final ball from the from the front, from those three behind the striker. And I think also it's, it's valid today to highlight maybe the lack of number nine skills from Mason Greenwood playing in that role. I think Mason will eventually be a number nine or a striker or whatever you want to call him. But you can still see as a 19-year-old, it's not quite dialed in up here in terms of the runs he needs to make. He did it once with Dan James, where Dan James had the ball at his feet on the edge of the box. He made a really good run and it opened it up for Dan James to have a shot. And that's really what the three behind the striker want your striker to do. So that was a good thing, but it was intermittent. It's not natural at the moment for Mason. So this is why I've said as well that I do think United need a Haaland type number nine to kind of drive that unit forward and to have some real quality finishing in there at the top end of the pitch. But I think today, the reason why United, I think, have found these games more stickier than, than say, last season is that last year United were playing pure counter-attack. That's what they were doing. Sitting back, low block, punch me on the chin, and then I'm going to hit you on the other end. And United are really good at that because we've got quick players. But we don't want to play that style of football. So I'm not going to sit here today and say, well, this is a big issue for me because we've drawn these matches now. I still think it's a work in progress. So I'm not low on those things. I don't kind of think I'm also not particularly high on them. But I think it's it's like little isms that United need to fix. So the number nine issue is 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 a problem. I think that's something you need to look at in the summer. You can't solve it today. If Cavani plays today, I think you probably win. And the reason why you win is that Cavani's runs will pull that Chelsea back three all over the place. It was something that Mason wasn't doing today. Mason wasn't really making those runs. He was he was kind of getting one of those front-up shooters where you're kind of getting the ball on the edge of the box and if he turns and hits it and puts it in the top corner, great, you win the game 1-0. But it doesn't really give you a fluid attack, does it? That's a kind of, that's just a, a moment. We're looking kind of to win the game in one moment. But for me, the, the issue of the game for United stability through the middle, again, the issue wasn't really McTominay and Fred. I think Fred didn't sit in the pivot today. He pressed, he moved up. Scott McTominay has been injured and that is exactly why he sat deeper. It was just to kind of plug a hole and to, to try and put some energy into it. But he you know, didn't really have that energy today, did he? I think that was quite obvious. So you've got to look at what's going on in front of the pivot and behind the attack. And Bruno plays this free role for Manchester United because he's got an amazing assist count and an amazing goal count. I think Ole just says to him, go and play, go and do your thing. The problem is, is on the front foot, Bruno is beautiful. He's world-class. He's great. But when he drops into that pocket and picks the ball off or does some defending and the ball comes to his feet, he's actually not that good at getting the attack going. He really isn't. His ball, his outlets from those areas are not good. He's great from the halfway line onwards and he's got a striker in front of him or maybe two wingers coming on the outside. He can thread balls all day long. He can do that. His assist rate shows that. 
The issue is, is that when he drops into, say, what I would call the Paul Scholes role, which is kind of not, not a defensive midfielder, obviously, but also not an attacking midfielder. You're kind of number you know, eight, I'd say. That's where Pogba uh, likes to operate, I would say. It's not a traditional number eight in a 4 2 3 1. That's the problem, you see, Haydar. It's not really the eight. It's someone, a number eight will give you um, the kind of engine room that you want in that area, but you can't be number eight on your own there. You know, it's normally a, a dual role. If you've got two players there, you have one that's number eight, maybe one that's a six, and you'll do this. And that's not really what United do. Today, Fred did join him in that area, but I would not call Bruno Fernandes a number eight. He's not a number eight. He's, if anything, he's a 10 or a, or a false nine. So what I really wanted to express today is my wish that Bruno Fernandes plays as Manchester United's false nine going forward now, especially as we're talking about the striking position. Because I want Bruno getting the ball in the box. I want Bruno on the outskirts of the box. I don't want Bruno in the wrong half of the pitch because he's kind of proved, I think, week after week after week after week that he's not a great facilitator from there. You know, he's either a little bit rushed. He's trying to maybe place things that are a little bit too progressive at times. Sometimes a simple ball is the best ball. And he's be he's trying to be everything for Manchester United, and I think that that actually is a is a is a regressive point. I think you saw today that United's failings came not from the double pivot, not really from the the upper end of the attack. The issue was that that kind of core area that you would say in front of the pivot, the triangle between the double pivot and the player dropping in, and Bruno is that player. It's something that I wouldn't want say, Donny van der Beek to do either, but I would like to see Bruno now playing either higher up in the pitch because his press is so good, but then he's got to work all the way back into front of the pivot and then he's knackered and he loses the ball again. You think, I think Ole needs to find solutions to get the best out of Bruno. He's getting the numbers out of Bruno, but is he actually getting 100% out of what we can get out of Bruno Fernandes? I think that is questionable. <laughs> I don't think his performances have been very good, Rob, for a while now. When you're looking at it, Bruno Fernandes, the amazing thing about him is that he's still putting up these numbers. He's still affecting games. You talk about Marcus Rashford last week. When he plays poorly, he affects games. We speak about Martial. He's playing poorly. He's not scoring. He's not doing the basics. Bruno's affecting games week in, week out. And that's why he's been so good. But if, if you actually look at his game and look, too many... Too many don't want to actually analyse Bruno because he's doing very, very well with his numbers. But actually, his all-round game, you're, you're completely right about his passing. from deep. And that's why I've been saying don't play him as eight. People saying, oh, I'll play him as eight, play Van der Beek as ten. No, he hasn't got the passing range and ability. I think what Bruno is, for me, is he's just, he's a pure, for me, he's a pure number ten. I like the idea of playing him as a false nine. United have probably have a few issues at number nine right now. I might disagree with you a little bit on Mason. I thought what he did do well, to, he definitely is bulked up. I think he linked up quite nicely outside the box. I agree with you. He's not making those number nine runs, but he's still young. And I, I know you agree with this. He will he will eventually learn that. For me, the, the issue not so much wasn't the number nine. I think it's the creation. Again, zero big chances created today. Um, I, th I still think while Dan James was, I thought he was fantastic today, but he's still not of the required quality that you need from the right-hand side. That's why I want Sancho. And we, we've had discussed this last week, so we won't discuss it again this week. But um, I think there's a real, real issue with creativity. And too many of our players like ball to feet. You take Paul Pogba out the side. Bruno's the only creative outlet. He has an off game. United don't create. And that's a big, big problem. So for me, that's why I say, while McFred weren't poor today by any means, I think they, they worked very, very hard. But Tommy, especially considering he was out injured, uh, had a really good performance um, in that respect. But they don't have enough quality on the ball. So you can't, for me, you can't expect Bruno to do everything when you need a bit more quality from deep, from out wide. I don't think Marcus had a good game today. I thought he was pretty poor. So I feel like there's a lot of pressure on Bruno to do all the work, to be that creative outlet when the rest of the team still needs to offer that as well. Uh, 100%. I don't disagree with you on that, but I think we have to be really careful about what we're highlighting and why we're highlighting it. So, you know, when you look at this game, it's nil-nil. Why did you not win the football match? That's really the kind of the, the big encompassing question, isn't it? That's why we're saying, what? how do you get over the line in these scenarios? So, you know, would you have changed the pivot today? Would that have got you somewhere with Paul Pogba in the double pivot? Personally, I think with the way United were playing, Probably not. Um, what would you have Here's done? Here's a question you... here, Rob. You know, from from the question down here saying, you know, would Pogba have made a difference? You don't think he would have today? Oh, look, Paul Pogba is a world-class player. So if you put a world-class player into a team, you expect him to make a difference. But I, I don't think that when we're talking about 
uh, stylistic issues and why United maybe were not as cutting edge in the final third, I think there's bigger philosophical questions that are more than individuals because this is kind of what we're talking about. So when you look at McFred and why they were played, I say that they're the two players you play in the pivot because that's you want the energy in those positions. So that's why a 4-2-3-1 dictates that. But you still then got your your number 10, and this is the Bruno role, Bruno covering literally from the goalkeeper where he's pressing all the way back to the pivot. That's a lot of ground. That is a lot of ground. That's like 50 yards of space. Now, credit to Bruno. He works hard. He does it every week. He's consistent with that. I think he's probably the best pressing player in the world in his position. But how do you get more out of him? Now, at the moment, when you look at his stats, the stats will tell you that we probably couldn't get more. But how do you get more out of the team through him as a facilitator? And that's what I'm talking about. So, Again, it's very easy to cut. Like you, you mentioned, Dan James there. Dan James today was probably our best player. Yeah, I, I do agree so with that. I'm not, it's I'm not it's sure really that. difficult. It's really difficult to us to say when Dan James comes into the team today, he's our best player on the day. He works hard. He gives everything. He was our most creative player. He got wide two or three times and whipped in really good balls. United weren't on the front foot. I blame Mason for that because Mason wasn't running across the post. It's his job. He knows that, but it's not natural to him at the moment because he's not been doing it all the time. He'll get there. But for me, Dan Jones, one of our better players today, he absolutely warranted his selection. So it's hard then for us to sit here and go, oh, but Dan James isn't good enough because he was one of our better players. So this is why I always kind of maybe buck the trend and I always look at it from a different angle because it's more about United as a team. Um, but let's talk about the penalty because um, when we look at these games and what's going on in English football and we look at VAR, everyone knows I'm a fierce kind of defender of VAR and what, what it brings to the game and why we have it. And what you saw today was that VAR worked perfectly. It showed the referee that a player made an infringement in the box with his hand. Uh, I tweeted out, if you go to my Twitter handle, everyone, you can see that I put a picture out on it where you can see that his hand is in an unnatural position. It's kind of up here, just in front of his face to the right-hand side. It clips his fist. Doesn't He didn't punch it, but it clips it. It's clear, clear as day. And the referee decided after looking at it on the monitor that he wasn't going to give it. That is a fallacy. That is ridiculous because the referee basically there's cost Manchester United three points. Because if you get that penalty and you score early, it stretches the game. It changes the nature of the match. It doesn't really allow Chelsea to do what they were doing in terms of their setup. And it gives United the advantage. And I think the way United were playing on the front foot and quite high up the pitch United would have picked them off. So United might have then got a second or a third or one in this game. So small, so these kind of small moments are huge moments. But I think the issue here is not VAR. The issue here is English referees. And English referees have complicated officiating. They're the only country in the world where I'm seeing this in terms of what, what I cover when I look at uh, Europe or abroad uh, or even further afield, you tend to see that the referees do not complicate it. They allow VAR to do what it's supposed to do, and they don't come in with these kind of falsisms about where what, what refereeing is and what things mean. Um, that is handball every day of the week. Yeah, it's not deliberate, but the rule isn't about deliberacy. It's about does he gain an advantage? And the fact that Mason Greenwood has stood next to him, and if that ball bounces away from him, that Mason might be able to get a shot off, control it, get a shot off, that's an advantage. That was taken away from Mason Greenwood, and therefore it should have been a penalty. People can debate it. I've already had people say to me, oh, you know, it was kind of slight. It wasn't deliberate. We shouldn't have this. It, it's ridiculous, basically. We saw well, it yesterday. Judging on what you've seen all season, Rob, that's a penalty. We see, not just that, but also about what is what is what are the rules? What are the rules? So the rules are that in that in that position where if his hand is maybe by his waist or lower down, there is a kind of say that the ball kind of bounces up at you. You can then you can then kind of wave it off. But the fact that it's shoulder height and it's there, and he doesn't, you know, the referee's looking for a deliberate movement, and there isn't a kind of big deliberate movement but he absolutely kind of flicks his hand and, and takes the ball into his control to the side. It's a penalty. And we have to get this right in England because I think this is what's ruining the Premier League in terms of officiating. And I defend referees every week. And I think that it's become so complicated in their heads. We saw it yesterday with Lee Mason. Lee Mason blows his whistle to give a free kick to start the play. Then he does blow it immediately to stop the play. Then Lewis Dunk scores 
And VAR rightfully disallows the goal because the second whistle negates that. And Lee Mason then gave the goal. That's Lee Mason's fault. Yeah, it's, it's not VAR. Error, it's not it's VAR, human, it's, it's human error. It's, it's human error, but it's also, Haydar, we have to kind of look at a application of the rules. And in that moment, re referees cannot make those kind of errors in that kind of arena. You cannot do it like that because it's so simple. So today when a referee goes to a monitor and sees that a person's arm is here and it flicks their, it flicks their, their, their fist off the top, and comes to the side. And VAR has obviously recommended that that is a clear and obvious error. That's why he sent him to the monitor to go and have a look at it. And then to not give it, it doesn't just stink. It just kind of shows that there's some malpractice going on there because these referees have got to get these simple calls correctly when they're allowed now to use a slow motion replay to help them. They don't even have to guess Hadar. They just got to look at it and apply the law. Rob, I think the biggest issue today, and Martin Tyler did say this, that the Chelsea players were near the VAR screen. They're not allowed to do that. It's against the Absolutely. protocol. Outrageous. Yeah, that's, so forget that, that's, that's, that's against the rules itself. I don't understand how that wasn't given. I completely agree with everything you've just said. I mean, there's a good comment here saying, I'm sick of the soft foul argument. If you start making decisions about soft, you're introducing Correct. subjectivity into referee's decision, which is bad. Great, great comment bad. there. And that's Very the bad. issue, Rob. But... Forgetting even about just the penalty issue, the fact that the players were doing that, they were in their ears. I mean, it's just absolutely farcical. I, I have no idea why the referee, when hudson Adoy is obviously 10, 10 yards behind him, 10, 15 yards behind him, uh, as far as I'm aware, the referee has to clear that area. That This is what I understand it to be. The referee needed to turn around and push them away and say, away, or I go to my pocket and you get yellow cards. So that's the rule. And what did the referee decide to do? He decided to look at it and allow Hudson Adoy from 10 minutes, 10 yards behind him, sorry, to commentate over the top of it. And you actually see a picture that I posted again on my Twitter account where Hudson Adoy's got his arms out very theatrically, saying, ref, I didn't handball it, ref, 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 ref. And at that moment, the referee's got to turn around and deal with the situation. Yeah, and he doesn't. So he watches it and then he goes away and he kind of goes, no penalty. I don't believe that's a handball, even though I see it touch his hand. And I've been recommended that that's a handball. And now what we're seeing is the shift the other way, aren't we? So when we were getting referees going to the monitor, they weren't questioning anything. They were just giving it almost 100% of the time. Go to the monitor. I've been told something in my ear. I'm going to give it. Now we're seeing the opposite. Referees are now going, oh, hang on. I'm going to do if I think it's not a handball, it's on me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take responsibility for that. Good on you. We want you to take responsibility, but we also want you to use the tools correctly and apply okay. the law correctly. So in that moment, I'm sure it will be pulled back here. Uh, well, Rob, read, read this comment here. Yeah. So apparently, Shaw that Shaw's done an interview. He said VAR told the ref it was a penalty. Ref said no due to backlash. Backlash just had an interview, and another one here. What does that mean due to backlash? Does it, guys? Get in the comments um, and let us know because we haven't seen them yet. Um, here, he said to Maguire, he can't give it as it will be too controversial. No, if he said that, you see that. If, if he said that, then we are in trouble because controversy is not what fuels the game. Accuracy is what fuels the game. So a referee cannot think about controversy. The referee has to think about accuracy. And it was accurate to say that was a handball. So that is a big, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they say. Obviously, I see more coming up now. I think there's one they're saying Luke, uh, from Luke Shaw said in an interview. I even heard the ref say to Harry Maguire, uh, say it's a pen then says it's going to cause a lot of people to talk afterwards. I, I don't know if that's true. Like, I don't know if Luke Shaw has really said that. I don't really want to comment on that because I think that's that's a really kind of bold statement if he said that um, because then that referee well, might never referee again if he has said that because that is a problem. Um, but it, it looked like it. You know, like that actually, that, that statement there by Luke Shaw from what we're being told secondhand happened. Um, it kind of fits because the referee did see that it hit his hand and immediately kind of turned around and said, no, I'm not giving it. And it's kind of like, well, why? So I don't believe that referees have to come out and say why they didn't give decisions or why they did, but we need clarity. We need clarity. Why are these decisions now? For Suddenly it was it was the other way, wasn't it? We, it were people being too hard, too strong. Everything's a handball. You know, we look at kind of the arm. Where does handball start? We've moved it from here to there because people get annoyed now when we're talking about it hitting your 
fist. Oh, that's not a handball. I mean, it literally it, hit your hand. It's stupid. It's so it's stupid. So, so, stupid. so, so United effectively, you know, that is a big call in the context of the season for Manchester United because they're obviously not going to win the title. But in this fight for second or closing the gap to City, three points would have been very useful today. And I think United executed their game plan. I said, we will talk a little bit more about Bruno and what we can do with him going forward and what United need up top. But overall, I think United did a uh, put together a good game plan today. It's just trying to find maybe that that last part of being able to turn games over. Like in that last 10 minutes, and Gary Neville said something quite, quite uh, telling, where he said United were settling for the point at that stage. And funnily enough, I thought that was when Chelsea were at their most vulnerable. I think if United had gone for it in the final 10 minutes, they might have nicked a goal. Rob, I'm actually going to read out the quotes. I found them. So Shaw said, Maguire said that they, this is the match officials, got told it was a penalty by VAR. So I'm not sure what's gone on. I don't understand why it's been stopped. If it's going to stop, then you think it's going to be a pen because we had the ball and we were attacking. Oli yeah. said 100% it was a penalty. Oli said it was a penalty, 100% nailed on. If that's a natural position for a hand to be in when the ball comes in, then I must be blind. Uh, and he's talking about, you know, sort of we wanted to win, great desire, great pressing, etc. Um, but our ball retention wasn't good enough and we were scrappy. And I, I think, and when we settled, we created a few chances, but we didn't have enough. I think that's a very, very fair um, review of it. But it's, 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 it's just nonsense because we're sitting here and we're debating the VAR when really we should be talking about the game. But this is a problem. It is a problem. And as a journalist, everyone says to me, you know, how do you kind of separate being a kind of partisan fan, being a Manchester United supporter? And how do you apply the law in your head, you know, to all situations? And the only way I can do it really is to be neutral. So in that moment with that handball, I look at it as a neutral. I don't look at it as United fan wanting a penalty or wanting to beat Chelsea. I just look at it and say, black and white, is that a foul? That's the only way you can call it. It's the only way to be fair. And if I thought that that was an accidental handball or it wasn't, you know, it's down by his side and it clips his elbow or something that's very vague, then it's not clear and obvious. And that is the term everyone must hold on to, clear and obvious, because that's what VAR is for. That was clear and obvious that it hits his hand. His hand is in an unnatural position. And therefore, applying the rule means that not was it deliberate, but was it handball? And the rule states that that is a handball, certainly in the modern game. Now, I know a lot of people don't want to see these, as we just said, they're soft fouls. But there's no such thing as a soft foul. It's a foul or it's not a foul. And in that situation, there, it is a foul. If that's in the halfway line and it clips his hand, everyone just goes, well, it's a free oh, kick. Absolutely. So you, 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 no, one, no one debates it. You just go, oh, it clipped his hand, it's free kicks. And, and the ball goes down on the deck and the game restarts. But there, the referee has kind of seen it. And he has, like, I always say this, you know, that when a player get inside a referee's head, the referee has to think. So he has to send people away and let give himself space to think. That referee today did not do that. He didn't do himself a favour. He allowed Callum Hudson-Odoi to basically tell him what happened as he watched it. And that influences you. It has to. And I think that he's come away and said those things to Harry Maguire. There was a bit in the second half where... You could see Harry Maguire was talking away to the referee, obviously still in his ear saying, what, what happened there, ref? And the referee was kind of being conciliatory in his body language and kind of saying, you know, he wasn't just saying to Harry, go away. But that discussion's now going to run and run because this is important for the rest of the season. Referees cannot apply the law in terms of controversy. They must apply the law in terms of accuracy, what is true and fair. And it was today, that was a penalty. It's as simple as that. I agree, Rob. Let's move on to Bruno. I know we've mentioned him just before, but let's let's delve into it a little bit more. Let's talk about what we can do. I agree with you. Um, look, there's a bit of a narrative going around within the fan base. Um, someone mentioned it to me before the game. Bruno Fernandes never performs in big games. He's a liability. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that at all. I think that's just uh, one of those sweeping statements that we see. Um, I Sounds think like Twitter. That, yeah, a bit, a bit like Twitter, to be honest. <laughs> I think when you look at Bruno Fernandes, he has some fantastic qualities get him in the box that's what i say get him in the box that's where he's most dangerous don't have him picking the ball up from deep which is why i'll go back to um mcfred as there's a comment here that says well, i don't know if it's linked to them but this is what i think not i think not enough quality on the ball greater closing down the space off the ball i think that's how i would describe our double pivot but looking at bruno he's played several times as a false nine i think he's looked better he presses from the front. I think we've got a bit of an issue at number nine. 
Cavani is a really good option. He can't play week in, week out. Obviously, he's 34. I like Mason. He's probably not ready to play with back to goal. Martial's woefully out of form. I don't want to see Marcus as a number nine. Is it time Oli perhaps goes with those sort of split, split strikers, plays a false nine, and gets Bruno as far forward as possible so that he can really affect games? I think the issue with that, Haydar, we talk about changing your system, is that it becomes a big fundamental change. So you're saying you've got to second in the league, you've also been top, you've kind of done well in cup competition, just still very much there in Europa League as well. And you say to yourself, this has worked for me, but now I'm changing it. So that's difficult because why? Because when you change things, you've got to change it on the training ground. So you're you're basically changing the, the whole of how you're training. Because if you change your system and you play with players in different positions suddenly because you're trying to do something more expansive or keep better ball retention or have better finishing or maybe be more defensively solid or any of these kind of things, they're huge philosophical changes. Massive. And I know football fans, again, think that you kind of flick a switch and you press a few buttons on a computer and you go, well, where we go, it's changed and now everything should work. And unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. Certainly not at this stage of the season when there's like a dozen games to go. You've got to consolidate, consolidate and be also play to your strengths. So what United did today was they outfoxed Chelsea in terms of the press. So they got Chelsea doing things they didn't really want to do. That stopped Chelsea being completely effective on the front foot. You saw that kind of Giroud maybe had one or two chances today. But in general, United cut that supply off and were able to look after their defensive shape really, really well. Um, we talked about Paul Pogba just a little bit earlier on how you would have used him. In this kind of game, in a 4-2-3-1, I'd have used Pogba on the left. That's what I would have done. Why? Because then it means that Pogba's higher up the pitch and he can influence the game in more kind of progressive areas. And that allows Bruno to become a second-man runner. That's what it allows you to do. Because Pogba's ball retention is better than Marcus Rashford's. So that's what I would have done tactically. That's how I would have solved that issue. But if you then say that you're going to play, like you just said there, what is the issue with the striker? Have we got a problem with it? The only way to solve it, Haydar, really, the truth is that you go and spend £65 million on a guy's release clause at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, it's 65 million quid. It's pennies. It's not a lot of money. You go and talk to Mini Raiola and you go and stroke his ego, and you say, we want your player. We'll sort you out with Paul Pogba as well. Whatever you want to do, if you want to take Pogba away, and you're going to do that anyway, we'll help you, but we want that player. Because that's what you do. You put a world-class number nine in there. Now, I do think that Mason, as a 19-year-old, can do that one day. I think it's a lot for him to carry on his shoulders, say, at the start of next season or at the end of this one. That becomes a problem for me in my head, just logistically. But next year, yes, go and solve that 4-2-3-1 shape with a top-class striker if you can get someone who can do that role. And it also means that you then could say to Bruno, we don't want you dropping deeper into those roles where, where you're losing the ball, where you're less effective. If Bruno Fernandes is picking the ball up 75 yards from the goal, I don't want to see it. That's, that's the way I'm thinking, because every time he does it, he doesn't join dots. So for me, it's not what's behind him. The issue isn't Maguire, Lindelof, or, or the double pivot at this stage, because they're doing their function. You've just drawn this game nil-nil. There was no goals. But what's coming out of there in front of it? And the issue is Bruno Fernandes. So we can talk about Bruno's, Bruno progressively. I think his stats are fantastic when he's in the box. Goals, assists, he cleans every penalty out, he, he gets free kicks, he does everything that you want him to do as an attacker. But think about, I don't know, say someone like um, Cristiano Ronaldo. If Ronaldo was playing as a forward and scoring lots of goals as he always has his whole career, you wouldn't then be saying to him on a wide position, hey, Cristiano, track back, please, and cover the fullback, would you? Because you don't, because you're getting so much production out of him at the top end. And that's how I see Bruno. I don't think it's Bruno's fault. I think it's up to Ole to adjust that. Ole's got to find a way to keep his prime attacker in an attacking role and not say to him, yeah, because you work so hard, go and help defensively, because he's never really that much of a help defensively on the back foot. He doesn't really help the double pivot. He doesn't kind of fill holes. He tends to lose the ball and he loses them in dangerous areas sometimes. And against a better passing possession team, like say Manchester City, you're going to get really hurt by Bruno Fernandes losing the ball in those areas. <laughs> I'm just going to have to disagree on, on 
Haaland being the option. I and mean, we've, we've disagreed for this on this, you know, the past two or three weeks. But I just think that... You might be the only Man United fan saying, I don't well, want there, There's Haaland. a few in there. You might are, be the you only look, one. There's a few in there's a few in there. Look, one of my biggest issues with this United side is we don't create enough. I, I would love Haaland. I'm not saying I don't want Haaland. But realistically, you're not going to go and get Haaland and say a Sancho. That right wing is still a problem for me. If Paul Pogba goes, I think what a lot of people have noticed and... Um, I've noticed this as well, is that when Paul Pogba does play, Bruno Fernandes has a bit more time on the ball. You know, there's a, there's a second person that United side who you think, right, he can do something, he can hurt the opposition. <clears throat> I think it was a Leicester game. Pogba came on. Automatically, Leicester, the two-all draw, they took a couple of yards back and they were like, right, okay, Paul Pogba's on. He can hurt us. He's got the passing range. He's got the you know the ball control. He can carry as well. I mean, he's, he's a threat. And you saw Bruno a little bit more freed up centrally. For me... Striker, yes, it's a problem, but if you're not going to be able to provide the service, I mean, the service that Dortmund provide for Haaland is so much more than what United do. And where does that mostly come from? It comes from Jaden Sancho. You're looking at Sancho. The reason why I think we should go for someone like Sancho is that we still struggle with creation against low blocks. It's still a problem, Rob. We we look at our midfield. I don't think there's enough sort of progression from midfield when you play McFred. You're taking Pogba out the side. I think that's a huge part of creativity that you're taking out. I still think, you know, there's a bit of a lack of technical, maybe, you know, sort of stability or, um, you know, on the ball when we transition. I think that's a problem still. You see that we get very, very hurried. We saw that a few times today. I think you need to get someone who's, um, you know, a top player playing in front of Wan-Bissaka. You might see more from him. I think Wan-Bissaka's improved. And I just think that the pressure on Bruno right now to be that sole creator, he's... I don't think he's got that necessarily in his game. You're looking at, like I said, I think Pogba's got that that ball-playing ability in terms of his passes. De Bruyne's got it. I don't think Bruno's got it. I think what you're seeing now is there's different types of number 10s in world football. You look at Van der Beek, he's someone that likes to, you know, sort of make these runs um, in behind the defence, or he likes to play sort of one-touch quick football. Bruno Fernandes will pick a pass, but you've got other number 10s, for example, who are, much more creative than I say Bruno. I think where Bruno really excels is getting into the box. I don't think that the, the number nine is that big of an issue for us. I think upping the creativity, upping the chances that these forwards get, and they will score because they're not bad players. Marcel's not a bad player. He's in bad form. Mason's young still. Cavani will score if you give him more opportunities. We're not giving the forwards enough opportunities. So for me, I just think that you look at, Mace, um, look at Sancho. I saw a statistic the other day that said he's the most pressed forward, I think, in Europe right now. That that's 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 massive for United. I think he's the sort of player that is comfortable being pressed. He's got great footballing IQ. He's very creative, great decision making. He will elevate that front line. Then you go and get a number nine if Mason's not ready yet. If you're going to sell Martial, you know, I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate. If Cavani isn't, well, he's going to be here for, probably for another year, possibly. That's when you go and fix the number nine position. We've got much more problems in the wide positions for me. I think for me, you know, when you look at this game today, do Manchester United win it if Jaden Sancho plays in this match today? Do Man United win this game? For me, the answer is no. Can Jaden Sancho play a 4 2 3 1 the way Ole plays it? in the way that it's styled today in this Chelsea game. Not, I'm not talking about the full season. You can make adjustments. I think the answer is no. Again, I, I, there's no way that Jaden Sancho gives you the, the kind of room behind you. Now, I just said that little Ronaldo uh, analogy about would you ask Ronaldo to track back? Well, in United's system, I don't think Jaden Sancho is going to be doing a lot of tracking back. So if you want to change your system to 4-3-3, and that's how you want to play, great, Haydar. It's not happening. So I think we also have to kind of live in reality and think about what Ole needs to make his team better. There's no doubt that an 80 to 100 million pound wide right forward like Jadon Sancho makes every squad in the world better, but it doesn't always get you to where you want to go. I tell you what gets you there is goals. If you bring in Haaland and Haaland scores you 30 goals a season and United have already got the best attack in the whole of the Premier League in terms of goals scored, you win the Premier League. It's just as simple as that. So you look at kind of what's behind you. You might look at the double pivot. You might say, I want a kind of Rice in there, someone who's a bit more of a sexier name, someone who kind of can do certain other things that I don't see from McTominay and Fred. And I get that. I get all of those things. They all make sense. But it's a sliding scale of priorities because you can't go and buy five players in one go to fix a whole team. Because when you generally do that, it breaks the team. 
the team collapses because it's come too much change. Well, we saw that with Chelsea, didn't we, this season? It's too much evolution in one go. You can't have too much evolution. Otherwise, the DNA collapses. That's how it is. So I think when you look at Manchester United, for me, it's a sliding scale of priorities. I would like a centre-back. We've all talked about centre-back, but I think we've talked about it so much, it's just become boring. And we know that Lindelof is slow. We know Maguire is slow. It's not really worth rehashing. We know that United don't have a natural shape on the right-hand side. We talked about Jadon Sancho for years. I don't think Jadon Sancho is interesting anymore. I'm looking at what is the fundamental flaw for me at the moment. How do you fix this? You've got to get Bruno Fernandes nearer the box and you've got to give him a striker in front of him who is lethal and who is mustard. Now, I do think that Mason is the best finisher at the club, so of course that might lend itself that he becomes a number nine eventually or is a number nine option. But I think we also see that Mason generally plays better on the right at the moment. When he's on the right, he can come in on the left, he can do that role, and it allows the players inside him to have a threat on the outside. There's a better balance. But today, I'd already tweeted before that I thought Martial would probably play or play on the left, and you'd see Mason through the middle. We did see Mason through the middle, it's just that Dan James was the guy that got the call. So he did that job today. Again, Dan James, not a world superstar. He's not your first pick in your dream right-hand side, right-wingers in Europe. No, of course not. He's not Jadon Sancho. But he did the job today and he was actually very, very good. So it's kind of like, uh, what, what didn't work? So that's how I'm looking at it. What didn't work? Haaland needs one chance to score every week. And I tell you what, if you give him four chances, he'll score a hat-trick. And that is how good he is. And I think that also one of the comments there rolling down saying, I think Haaland will go to City. I agree with that. I think Haaland will go to Manchester City, mainly because... City score lots of goals, don't they? But Manchester City are not thinking in the terms of what you're saying there, Haaland, uh, uh, Haydar with Haaland. They know that if they score five goals every week, then they just win the league. And I think United have got to get like that. That Play the United way, score lots of goals. If you concede one or two, make sure you score five. And the problem is this United team is too imbalanced. Lots of nil-nils, lots of one-nils, kind of situations where you or, get or done. Or three-nils or four-nils. It's just or, there's no... Or, yeah, but you get yeah. done by the situation, don't you? So, like, today United didn't get done by the situation. It was nil-nil and that was the end. So you get a point. But in other games we've seen this season, it's because United have been really bad at in-game management. The best way to get over in-game management is just to score lots of goals. Now, United have got there. They've got goals this season. Like you just said, they're three-nils, four-nils. They do look good when they're on the front foot against poor defences. But in these kind of games, you need a striker who's going to get one chance and score one goal, and you win that game 1-0 and you take three points. Manchester City have been great at that for years with Sergio Aguero. But now Sergio Aguero is leaving their football club. He will do it at the end of the season. There's no doubt about that. They will go all in for Haaland. That's the way I kind of look at it. And they've got issues in their team. You know, like when they had defensive issues, what they did, they went and bought Diaz. When everyone's going, oh, but do you need Diaz? Is he the right player? It's not always the sexy name that fixes the big problems. And I think with Paul Pogba believing, I think he will go, keep saying it over and over again. You then have to address that kind of space in front of the double pivot. How do you get the ball into Bruno where Bruno can be effective? I yeah. don't want Bruno working back 70 yards. But that's, to be where, that's, where, that's where my point comes with, with McFred in there. That's the reason why Bruno's coming back is because they can't find him. Like Fred, with all due respect, and I don't, we don't like to do reactionary takes here, um, Rob, and I'm not doing this, but when I look at Fred, I think great energy, great tenacity, but you're not good enough on the ball. Uh, and that's the problem. He should not be starting week in, week out for Manchester United. They you know, do give the ball, ball away. Like, yeah, they do. They, I think they, do, they do give the ball away. But, but I would say that pretty much every Man United player gives the ball away. Every one of them. Every one. So it's, this is not a kind of, like you just said there, we don't do hot takes. So let's take it away from the hotness. Take the heat out of it and look at it properly. The issue is not the ball from the pivot to Bruno. Bruno's getting plenty of the ball. Bruno is seeing all of the ball. The issue is, is that he's getting it in the wrong positions. Now, that is not the two players behind him's problem. That's his problem. He's coming too deep. He's going into wider positions too often. He needs to stay in the middle and he needs to be more like Firmino at Liverpool where he just stays in that channel and comes. Firmino also goes wide when he has to, but Firmino doesn't operate there. He doesn't get the ball to feet and then say, I'm a facilitator. Bruno does. Bruno gets the ball off the pivot and then kind of turns around, doesn't he? And kind of goes, right, what do I do now? Do I play it short? Do I play it long? That's the issue for me. That's not, The issue is not the ball to him. The, the issue is the ball from him to others. That's the problem for me. 
you make a good point about him coming. You know, he does sometimes come wide. Um, then that's that's a tactical point, Rob, because if Oli's giving him, it is freedom yeah. to go and do. And I think that's you know a lot of a lot of people in in the past in some of our shows have actually commented on this, saying that Bruno, him having that free role is actually hindering and and, and causing disruption. I think. You, the free roll is great for him, but sometimes you know in these bigger games you need him to maybe be a bit more, bit more disciplined and stay, stay centrally. You know, just pass the, the ball pocket. better, Haydar. Yeah. Just pass the ball better. Like, like, like the thing is, if you're a world class player, pass the ball like a world class player, please. Now, I the way I look at this is that when Bruno gets that ball in deeper areas, he is no better at passing the ball than McFred. No better. Yeah, he cannot be when he gets the ball there. He, he can play a long ball and he can play accurate, but that's not the game we play. We don't play that ball over the top. We have counter-attacking and Bruno's really great in transition. So say United are defending deep, there's a low block, it pops out one, two, it comes to him on the halfway line. You want it at Bruno Fernandes' feet, don't you? Great. But when United are sat in a little bit deeper and Bruno comes in there, Bruno's production of losing the ball is horrendous absolutely horrendous so it's easy to say that fred doesn't pass the ball very well you'd be correct scott mctominay loses the ball quite a bit in those situations you are correct but bruno fernandez is not any better in those positions and he should be he should be turning around and going i'm david silver here i am now like he would do at man city and i'm gonna free people around me and make them better by making the right call Bruno doesn't do that. He's Bruno definitely plays. regressed in this area of his game, but do you not think it's because of the I don't fact think he's ever that... been good at it. That means yeah, ever, I don't I've think, never, he, I've never yeah. seen it. And then, no, you're saying he's regressed. I don't think he's ever been, I don't think this is what he's good at. I think he's great in the box, goals, assists, facilitating in the final third, world class. But then because he's allowed to drop to the double pivot to go and get the ball off them, like a Paul Scholes used to. That's exactly what Scholes would do. Scholes would come and get the ball off a, of Carrick or someone like that. Carrick would screen and Scholes would come deep. But Scholes could play 40-yard passes with his eyes closed all round the pitch. Bruno can't do that. Bruno doesn't do that. Every week we kind of say, oh, Bruno got a goal. Bruno got an assist. Bruno was the game changer. But didn't he give the ball away again? We say it every week. And that's the way I'm styling this now, because that's the issue. How do you make Bruno Fernandes more effective? My answer to that, go and buy a number nine. Interesting. Rob, I'm going to read out a few of the questions. Guys, thank you for all your great comments. Thank you for your engagement. It's been brilliant. Uh, we've got a question here. I'm not um, saying don't buy Jaden Sancho, by the way. I'm not going, oh, I want one or the other. You're saying Haaland is priority. Buy them all. Buy, the, buy, buy them all if you can. You know, if you can get great players, always buy them. That's, you know, great players change you. That's that's how you look at it. But for me, in the in these tight games where it's been nil-nil or one-nil or United have even lost matches, I think it comes down to striking. United generally have enough efforts on goal. Like, so today's a different thing, but we've always said it, haven't we? 15 to 20 chances a game in general. And there's been those games that United have lost. I think if you have a proper striker, you probably win those games. I think we'll be having this debate <laughs> till the end of the season, Rob. And you never know, in the summer, maybe, I mean, I don't see You'll Haaland be loving coming. it next year when Haaland's getting hat-tricks at Man City oh, mate, and we're going, oh, I wish we'd bought him. I would absolutely <laughs> love Haaland. No, no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think the need's more important on the right wing. But um, let, let's, re let's read this one out. Uh, okay. Gerard sent it in. Should we change to a 4-3-3 so we don't need a double pivot? I'm going to sort of combine that with this question here. Um, would playing Bruno as a false nine have um, have split strikers work? Let's start with the 4-3-3, Rob. My, my word on this is that we can't play 4-3-3 because we haven't got someone that can sit. Effectively, we have. We've got Matic, but um, he's obviously um, he's not the same Matic as we saw at the end of last season. I think we're playing that 4-2-3-1 because of the fact that we don't have a specialist defensive midfielder. Um, and also, it's a system that gets the most out of Bruno Fernandes. He's a number 10. You want him to be as far forward as possible. You play a 4-3-3, you're essentially dropping him back a bit. And then, then the problem that we've been talking about all of today with his with his passing from deep isn't good enough. So I, I don't think that's an option for us. I'm still not convinced that if Oli does get, a, let's say, a defensive midfielder and he gets the players that he wants, that we'll go to 4-3-3. There's this, there's this feeling amongst the fan base that that's where we're going. I know he played that at Mulder, but I think 4-2-3-1 is what he wants to play. And he, let's say you do lose Pogba and a player comes in, let's say a Neves, for example, I still think you're going to play 4-2-3-1. I think Ole would love to be able to play 4-3-3 and play it effectively. All the best teams in the last 10 years who have gone on and won Champions Leagues and look like the best kind of setups have come from systems born 
from 4-3-3. I think Ole would like to play it. You cannot play 4-3-3 with two really slow centre-backs. You'll get done. Uh, you just said there about having a, a defensive midfielder. You cannot have your middle player in the three, in the 4-3-3, be a defensive midfielder. You can't. You'll get done. You, it, it, they'll, play, they'll be too deep. They won't be able to string the passes together. You need a busy midfield. You need Liverpool. So what Liverpool did last year was that you don't really go and get the best midfielders in the world doesn't really matter if you've got Thiago or not. What you need is someone like a Jordan Henderson playing with a Wijnaldum, playing with uh, yeah, a James... Work, playing with James Jordan. Not just workman-like, but just more players who are going to have a second-wave press to allow the front three to go and press on their own and then can kind of just give the ball off, hand the ball off when they need to. So Liverpool great at that. That's why Liverpool have been so good. They've won a Champions League. They won a Premier League. Yes, they're awful this season. There are reasons for why they are awful this yeah. year. But their 4-3-3, you saw this year that they revert to a 4-2-3-1 because they haven't got the confidence to play 4-3-3 at the moment and they've got lots of injuries. So would United play 4-3-3? Yes, but then you're really going to have to go and buy for key positions. So if you, bought Jay, if you bought Jaden Sancho, well, no, no, let, let, let's let's take it step by step. What does 4-3-3 really mean? You know, in terms of the philosophy. And that is you need a striker that scores goals at the head of the diamond. And you need two players on wide who can play in the width, who can give you proper kind of width in those areas who are going to press really high up. You then need three behind that are going to are going to keep that line, keep a second wave press. And then you need fullbacks that, that bomb on. Now, we've just seen with our two fullbacks this year, they are bombing on. Today, they did that. It's exactly what they did. So it's not that they can't do it. It's about shape and style. The issue is, is that you need also a centre-back, one of the two, to be able to run. And United don't have that at the moment. They need to be able to run and play. Maguire can play. Lindelof can play. It's just a very, very slow so there's no way if I'm Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with my current personnel, I'm playing 4-3-3 ever. I'm playing 4-2-3-1 because I need the protection of the double pivot. And I need the pivot to give me energy in those areas. So I, I'm not playing a three. It's not a banker three and a three. And you kind of like you're moving in between the gaps together like this. You can't really do that with United. If you also played the 4-3-3, I think you would have to play Bruno Fernandes as a false nine. You cannot play Bruno in that midfield because he'd be wasted. We're already saying that every time he gets the ball 50 or 60 or 70 yards from goal, he's tosh. He's not very good with the ball at his feet in those areas. He gives it away a lot. And you can't be. You've got to be economical. So on one hand, you can be disciplined and you can be aggressive. But on the other hand, you've got to be good. And he's not very good in those areas. So I would say that Jordan Henderson in that role is better than Bruno Fernandes in that role. I wouldn't say Bruno Fernandes is a, not a better player than Jordan uh, it's Henderson. It's about the roles, yeah. No, I understand. But it's about role-playing. So I, I think in a 4-3-3, someone like Scott McTominay would work really well. He'd give you yeah, energy. He he'd press. He'd go wide as well. He could do that. He could fill channels. He'd be second-man runner. He'd be really good. He'd score goals. He'd give you last-minute last, last uh, minute defended. All of those things. So Scott McTominay would fit in that system. Even Fred would fit in that system, kind of. But I don't think Bruno would, not as a midfielder. He'd have to be a false nine. He'd have to be the guy that plays between two forwards. So you might play Marcus. You might a bit play like Firmino, Rob. It would be exactly like Firmino. That's exactly yeah. the, the stylistic issue, the property of what we're saying. It would be like the Firmino role. It's become styled as that because that's what he does. And that's when he's good, he's playing that role. But I don't think United are going to do that because that's going to cost a lot of money. You're going to have to change a lot of things. And then you're starting from scratch next year. You're saying, you got to second in the league and hopefully we can maintain that. You get into semi-finals or cup competitions. Last year you got in the Champions League and we're now going to change the system. And we're going to, and it's a risk, it's a gamble because if you start losing, what happens? You get sacked. It's the end. And you go and get another manager. Um, so that's a problem for Ole. But I think he's happy playing 4-2-3-1 because it allows his best players to do their, their kind of more favoured things. And that means they need space to run. Marcus needs space to run. We all know this. He likes to dribble the ball. We know that uh, Bruno likes to play on the edge of the box and round those little pockets and all that. And he's good at that when, when United drop that into the pitch. But United do lack maybe a, a genuine 20 to 25 to 30 goal striker who can really be the kind of knife in the, in the kind of move at the end of the situation or putting the ball in the net. We don't really have that finishing. So in and around the, the penalty spot or the six-yard box, we do lack that. That's one of the big, huge areas that we, we lack 
a genuine kind of goal getter. Yeah, Mason will score goals his whole career. We know all this. He's not that player yet. He's not ready. He's only 19. So he'll get there. But it's trying to find a kind of, like we're saying there about 4 3 3 and what, what, you know, playing that system. If United did want to do that, they've got to go and buy a centre back. That's what yeah, you've got to so do. Someone you've got to go and buy a base who can defend one on one, Rob. And you, you need to go and find your, like your Van Dyke. And the player to do that would have been Upa Meccano. You now can't yeah. sign Upa Meccano. It's gone. So that, that ship has sailed. I can't even get my words out. That ship has sailed. So you have to let it go and say, right, forget. And let's move on. Let's try and do what we can do. So there's lots of good players out there. There'll be a busy transfer market. There's no doubt about that. And I think that Sancho is, a, a, is an option. But if he comes to United, he's going to have to learn to play a high-energy press in a 4-2-3-1 in an English game. Haydar, how many games has Englishman Jaden Sancho played in the Premier League? No, he hasn't played any, Rob. None, and that's a problem. So he's a great player in the Bundesliga. Great player in, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, but Haaland is just literally going to be in, uh, operating in a box. All penalty boxes look the same. You know, if you get him to him, he's going to put the ball in the net. It's really, really difficult playing the right-hand side of Man United's attack if you've got a track back. Dan James did it well today because it was a tough role and he's good at it. He's good at running. Yet he wouldn't be my first choice, Dan James, but he showed today how you played that role. Uh, that's why I always say Anthony Martial can't play the same role on the left because he doesn't do that and you need that. You need someone that can actually go back Marcus did it today, but not particularly great on the front foot. But you need coverage. You need players who do this together and do yeah. that on those positions. Both of them had to, Rob. You know, when Jaden Sancho is not going. Aaron Wambasaka, I'm going to come back and help you. He's just not. But he'd have to. If he, if he came to United and it was a 4-2-3-1, Ole would have to take him on a training pitch and say, right, this is what we do. You need to do this. I'm not 100% sure he would love that. I don't I really don't think I don't think that's his game. I think the Bundesliga playing a 4-3-3 or playing high up the pitch with Haaland like 10 yards inside him or 15 yards inside him that suits him. You know, he would suit a 4-3-3 if United were going to do that. But I don't think that's kind of where we're going as the, as the football club stands. I would still like Jaden Sancho to give you that option, but I don't think that today he would win you the game in this kind of setup. Rob, we're going to finish off with this question. So two people have asked it, so I'm going to read them both out. Yeah. Um, here saying, do you think we can try Van der Beek as a false knight? I'm I'm going to say that he doesn't have the hold-up play or the strength to do that, but there's a comment that says he does. He has good movement, also played good as an advanced 10 in the IX Champions League run. Not comparable because it's not Premier League football, it's European football. But um, another comment here saying, Bruno is a false nine. But has he got the hold-up play for me? Donny is better false nine than Bruno, and in a four-three-three, they could interchange roles. I do agree about the possible inter interchanging and play. But has Oli got that tactical nous to achieve that? Rob, Donny can't play number nine in the uh, false nine in the Premier League. <laughs> he just can't. If he can't play in the double pivot, he's not. How is he going to fare against uh, Lewis Dunk and people like that? He's just not. Okay, like, I don't two, know what people are seeing. Two things. Two things that are really important, which completely kind of set all those comments on fire. Number one, you've got to be able to work like a dog as a false nine. Firmino works like a dog. That's what he does. He's really, really hard. He goes in tough. It's my work phone going off. I will just turn it off. Excuse me. Um, but you look at kind of how they play in, in what, what does a false nine encompass? You have to be effective at joining the dots in your attack. I always talk about that a lot. But the other thing you have to do is get production. Bruno Fernandes has the best production in Europe as an attacking player. Goals, assists. He, he's got all of those parts of his game. Wouldn't it be crazy to then say to him, go and play in the three behind the front three and be even further away from the attack? He could do it. He's done it for Portugal. He's played in those systems before where he's kind of allowed himself to um, uh, kind of be deeper and to be a kind of more quarterback role. But that's not what he is. It's not what he's good at. And, you know, I, I think there's a desperation here to find a world for Donny van der Beek. Let's create this new world 100%. for Donny van yeah, let's create a world for Donny van der Beek. And what we'll do is, hey, guys, we'll change seven positions to suit Donny van der Beek. Yeah, I, I have the same Do, argument Do, against Donny's, that. Donny's had so many opportunities this year. He's kind of played 25, 26 games, something along that amount, in cups and games. Now, I know that he's not played a lot of strung-out minutes. He's not played 70 minutes, 90 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. But he's had chances, and he's played two or three different roles. He's played the double pivot. He's been the number eight wanderer. He's played as a, as, a, as a false nine. He's played in even a wide role once. He played, kind of played in Marcus's role for one game. And do you know what? 
he's not done any of them very well. And that's how I do it. You know, there's the smell test of when you kind of see a player and you kind of go, is he, is he doing what I want him to do? And he's just maybe moving through the gears or finding a way. And then the statistical side. And the statistics tell us that Donny van der Beek does not travel around the pitch very well in the Premier League. He's not great with the press. He's, he does lose the ball at times when you think he shouldn't. He's not a facilitator. Yeah, so he's no, not the guy. Plays it safe, Rob, he's as well. not going to be the guy that drops in the pocket and then says to Marcus or say to Mason, you overlap me and I'll find you that ball. He's not that player. He didn't do it at Ajax. He's never done that. It's not his role. He's a second man runner like Fran Lampard. He wants to be the guy that lets the press overload and then he sneaks in the back door. That's what he wants to do. We don't do that at 4-2-3-1. United don't do that. It's not kind of how, how we play the game. And that's not how Ole, Ole's not going to change his team to suit one player. And he shouldn't. And I do think with Donny van der Beek, we might be getting to an end game here at the end of the season where he does leave the football club. And that would be a shame because I think he well, wants Rob, I, I said this once ago and you had a go at me. Um, I said Donny van der Beek... Oh, no, I did say it to you. Yeah. Sorry, apologies. I said to someone else, I said that Donny van der Beek is his long-term future. He will be a very good player maybe in Italy or Spain or somewhere where it's more suited, but I don't think his long-term future is Man United. Not because he's not a good player, because I don't think he has it's his, his game to play an English game. We saw Adnan Yanazai play really well the other night for Real Sociedad. We saw what he can do. You know, he does still the same Adnan things that he did at United, but Adnan couldn't really cope with the overall pace of the Premier League playing that top end. Um, and there's lots of players you can highlight. That's not a kind of smite at him. But I think that Donny is one of those players. I think he really struggles with the English pace. And then it becomes a, a kind of Rubik's Cube of how, how do you fit him in? How do you find a way to, to, to kind of be a, a progressive team, but kind of find that he's actually the right stylistic issue, stylistic player for you without ruining everything. And that's why we're talking about Bruno. Who, I don't think there's an issue with Bruno Fernandes. Don't get me wrong. Bruno's not a problem when Bruno's doing Bruno things. Bruno's a problem when he's too deep. Bruno's Bruno's a problem when he's trying to do too much. And that becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prof prophecy then because we see it every week. He's too deep. United can't join the dots. United don't win these games. That becomes the problem rather than the actual result. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Spawn. Final word. United obviously drawn this game. In some ways, it's a better draw for United than Chelsea. We've kept kept that gap with them. They have obviously not lost any games um, under Thomas Tuchel. They've had a good start. You're looking now, obviously, at Leicester, who dropped points today. So we've gained a point. I mean, look, I'm just trying to be a bit of a, a glass half full sort of sort of view on this. Um, you're looking West Ham lost as well. Man City are gone. They're going to win the title. I'm not even thinking about that. Man United have to find a way probably to to be better in bigger games. I think the only way that you're going to do that really is to buy better players, Rob. I don't think there's any way around it. We've got City, uh, we've got Palace, I believe, and then we've got City, and City's, City's a massive game. How would you be looking towards that game, and would you be looking to play more of a counter-attacking style, or would you hope that United do something similar they did, more of that 4-2-2, I mean 2-2, but Pogba being out, I think that's going to be difficult. But for me, look... Not the not the worst result in the world, not the best one, but that big one, City, for me, and I think we need to we need to take points off them. Well, Tuchel stylistically is not too far away from Guardiola, not too far, not exactly the same, but a bit different in terms of tweaking in what you, your fullbacks do and kind of how your central midfielder plays. They're kind of uh, more philosophical decisions for the manager, but I think what you saw today might well be how Manchester United set up against City. It might have been a little bit of a dry run and a little bit of a practice in terms of if you can keep your full or your centre-backs high up the pitch playing against Manchester City who play without a striker. So Manchester City might play with, with Aguero. He's now fit. He played, obviously, in the last game. So you've seen uh, Gabriel Jesus plays as a striker but drops into kind of more unconventional areas of the pitch for, for a number nine. But if you can squeeze them and keep them in their half, they're not particularly great on the counter. They're not one of these teams that are kind of going to just burn you from pace with two or three passes. They want to control the game from the centre of the pitch. So you have to find a way of breaking that down. So you can either play the low block and kind of say, come on to us and we'll play counter-attack. And I think that's probably more likely what United will do. Or as we saw today, Ole might call Pep's bluff and try and play much higher up the pitch and say, right, do you know what? No one thinks we can win this game. You don't think we can win this game, Manchester City. So we're going to go for it. And if you beat us 5-0, so be it. 
but we might beat you 1-0 by being higher up and closer to the penalty box. I just really want to see Bruno Fernandes play around the box. I don't want to see him deep. And I think that that answers a lot of the kind of immediate key issues at Manchester United. Yes, like I just said, we can talk about Lindelof being slowed forever. We can talk about Sancho being on the right. These things can't affect us today. They're, they're not. They're, they're for the future. And we will talk about them. How do you make it work now? And for me, it's about getting Bruno closer to that penalty area and having a striker in front of him that works. I think him and Martial worked really well last year. And that's why I always keep saying that Martial is the first choice striker. Well, we saw today that he's not the first choice striker anymore. He has been for six months of the season and he's lost that right to be called. That's very that. telling, Rob, that he didn't start today. Of course, very of course, of course. And that, and that really is, you know, the fact that you kind of said to Martial, right, go and, go and have 15 minutes in this game tells you a lot about where Ole sees him in the bigger picture. Because in those 15 minutes, he's then got to come on and win you the game. That's the way it has to be. And like Donny van der Beek, when he gets those small minutes, the 15 to 20 minutes kind of cameos, you've got to be so good. You've got to be play out your skin and people have got to go, wow, you were amazing. And that's the same for Tony Marshall. It's the same thing for him. I do think you kind of look at Mason today and you can see that Mason doesn't make those number nine runs. He just doesn't. So how do you make those things work? I think with the Man City game, you look maybe for a little bit of a counter punch. You maybe do that, but you also play higher up the pitch. And then you say that United have, they haven't really got the pace behind unless, of course, Pep decides to play Raheem Sterling as his yeah. number nine. And he, and he says, I'm going to play Raheem Sterling on the centre spot. And these two, these two very slow centre-backs are going to get run by this very, very quick winger who's playing through the middle and will score goals. That might be how Pep kind of counter-punches Ole's tactics. But overall, look, let's again, yeah, we want to win these games against Chelsea, but there is, there, this, is not, this is not one to get upset about for fans. It really isn't. You know, you want to win the game, but United has shown that they're kind of at a level now where they're not, um, they're not a huge step away. They're one, two or three players from finding, I think, a level that's even higher above where they are at the moment. They went to Chelsea today. They've done really good jobs against Chelsea in the last 12 months. You know, they've won matches. Ole had a great record against Lampard. Um, Lampard's gone. They're having to change everything. You've got a better manager now as well, Rob. I mean, Thomas Tuchel's beaten Ole a few times as well in the last, last yeah, couple but like, of years. Tuchel, Ole's been him as well. Tuchel talked a lot about how Manchester United gave him nightmares with that PSG game. He talked a lot about how it affected him and how it hurt him and how he found it really difficult to kind of like compartmentalize it and such find answers. So today I don't think that we're sitting here saying Tuchel put on a masterclass against Ollie and Ollie by the skin of his teeth, you know, scrape, scratching his nails down a blackboard survived. It wasn't like that. I thought United had good parts of the game. I thought Chelsea had good parts of the game. Um, it's just that neither team particularly had finishing. And it showed that today that Chelsea could have done United with Werner on the, on the pace around the back of the fullbacks and the centre-backs. And they didn't do it. They actually gave Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a lot of respect. That tells you a lot about how Thomas Tuchel thinks about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think that he might have more respect for Ole as a tactician than some Manchester United fans. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to end it, Rob. Thank you for joining me as always, guys. Thank you for all your comments. As I mentioned at the beginning, this podcast is now on Sports Social Podcast Network. That's the UK's first dedicated sports podcast network. So you can find all our shows over there. Um, you know, definitely check it out. We've got um, a landing page where you can, you know, you can have a look at uh, some descriptions on us. We've got all our episodes there as well. So please do check it out. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 